0: If you would like our free newsletters on various religious topics, just send us an email at cdebater at aol.com and free newsletters will be sent to you by mail. Just provide your postal address in your email. The following are samples of some of the newsletters we have available. Does God Believe in Atheists? Part 1 Seventh-day Adventism True or false? The agony of deceit? The origins of Muhammad's religion? Spiritual warfare? Are psychic mediums communicating with ghosts or demonic spirits? Testimony to the eternal Godhead, the Trinity. From tradition to truth, a priest's story. An evaluation of the Oneness Pentecostal movement Mormonism – Counterfeit Christianity Turn or Burn Jehovah's Witnesses – Deceived Deceivers Links to these newsletters can also be found at our website www.biblequery.org Once on the homepage, simply click on the menu icon at the upper left hand corner then click on the newsletters button feel free to print them out 1st Peter 3:15 says but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear
1: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, My name is Greg Vancourt. I'm sitting in for Larry Wessels, the director of Christian Answers. Free newsletters uh, are available to you. And uh, I just want to uh, introduce myself briefly. I'm the pastor of Dayspring Fellowship uh, in Austin, Texas. Graduated uh, with my Master of Divinity from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky where I also did a Ph.D. work in New Testament. And our host uh, on, or our uh, guest on the program is Rob Zins. He uh, got his THM from DTS, author of Romanism, speaker, debater, and director of CWRC. What does that stand for, Rob?
2: CWRC stands for a Christian witness to Roman Catholicism.
1: Wonderful. We're glad to have you with us. Our topic today is going to be on tithing. And so, let me just throw out the question first. What does that word mean, tithe?
2: Well, Greg, I think that uh, that's a great place to start because there's so much confusion about tithing and is a Christian responsible to tithe? And if he is, how much? What does tithing mean? We know that from a strictly linguistic perspective, the Hebrew word for tithe is masar, mm-hmm. which means simply a tenth part. Right. And the Greek word for um, a tenth part is dekatao, or tenth. We're going to find this Greek term in Hebrews 7, verses 4 through 6. And I'd just like to read that because I think it sets the tone for understanding the the, the biblical concept of the word tithe tithe. In uh, Hebrews chapter 7 the author is recounting the episode in which Abraham patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his plunder to Melchizedek who appeared suddenly on the scene. Okay, and I just want to read this. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. And again, This man, however, did not trace his descendant from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So the word tithe essentially means tenth or a tenth part of something. For the nation of Israel, speaking in broad terms throughout the Old Testament, the tithe or tenth part was due from the fruit of the land, from the seed of the tree, and from the herd or flock. In extra-biblical literature, we have researched Egypt gave two-tenths to Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. Not Mm -hmm. one-tenth, two-tenths to Pharaoh, where it was used as part of the religious structure of the Egyptians as well as the political structure Mm -hmm. of uh, the Egyptians. So, essentially, the word tithe means
1: That's helpful because I think when a lot of Christians hear that word tithe, they think it's just uh, a special Christian word that's synonymous with giving.
2: Mm, Yeah, I've heard it said before, bring in your tithes and your offerings. Right, And I cringe when I say that because I think, oh, what does that mean? How how do do we uh, do that? Um, Moving forward into this whole idea of tithing, it, it might be good to, to kind of stay in the Old Testament just for a bit, sure, so that we can find out what kind of parameters we'll have insofar as tithing is concerned. Um, we can observe two occasions in the Old Testament, pre-Mosaic, where the tenth was used. OK. And I just want to go back to that uh, entire story of Abraham and Melchizedek. This story takes place in Genesis 14, verses 18-20. And I just want to read the short story. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, created of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. A tenth of everything. Not just a tenth of his money. A tenth of everything. That's what Abram... So this is pre-Mosaic. So there must have been some idea or notion or, or culture of a tenth or a tithe even prior to the Mosaic Law that was given. Okay? Now, we read an interesting story in Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 and 22. The story is self-explanatory. Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth, okay, a tithe. So, in the case of Abram and in the case of Jacob, we have tithing going on, offering a tenth to the Lord. Now, there are many, many mosaic mentions of Israel's responsibility to tithe. And uh, I think that uh, when we first uh, were introduced to the idea of doing this video, Larry said to me, one thing that really bothers me is modern-day pastors always trying to get money from their people and appealing to the tithing of the Old Testament to do so. And uh, uh, Larry says, I I know that tithing is part of the nation of Israel, but is that what the Christian should be placed under insofar as binding the conscience Mm -hmm. of his giving? So let's take a look at exactly what the nation of Israel was responsible for, and then maybe we'll move forward in the New Testament a little bit. Good. Unless you have any other questions that you'd like to ask before we get started. No, go ahead. Okay. We know from Old Testament passages, and I'm going to quote some of these, that the tithe was an important part of Israeli culture. We read in Leviticus 27, verses 30 through 34, the following. By the way, I'm quoting from the New International Version of the Bible. And Greg, the reason I'm doing so is because that sometimes when you read the Old Testament and if you read a more wooden translation like maybe the New American Standard or the King James Version or, or the uh, Authorized Version, yeah. it comes out a little choppy. Right. And uh, for some, I had a professor in seminary who was part of the committee that translated the Hebrew of the Old Testament into the New International Version. And I liked him. I liked Dr. Bodine. I thought he was a fair guy, a square shooter. Yeah. And I think that the the uh, NIV kind of smooths things out without yeah. losing the intent of sure. the author and the words itself. So I'll be reading from NIV here. Good. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If a man redeems any of his tithe, he must add a fifth of the value to it. In other words, if a man gives a tithe and wants it back, he gets it back if he pays for it, but he has to pay a fifth on top of that to get it back. Kind of like interest Mm -hmm. on top. Okay. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. He must not pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If he does make a substitution, and I'm assuming putting a bad animal in for a good animal, Mm -hmm. both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. You've got to give them both if you want to try that nonsense. These are the commands the Lord gave Moses on Mount Sinai for Israelites. So it's clear uh, that the Lord gave to the nation a system of giving back to the Lord Mm -hmm. that's bound up in this word tithe or tenth. Okay, the tithe from the nation we learn moving forward in the body must be given to the tribe of Levi, and Levi in turn must give a tenth to the priestly class from Aaron. When the Lord set up the Levitical priesthood, He said, "You're not going to be able to glean from the land and the fruit and the trees and the animals. Don't worry, I'm going to take care of you. I'll take care of you because the rest of the nation, the rest of the tribes, are going to tithe, Mm -hmm. and they're going to give it to you." But I have selected from you, from your particular tribe, Levi, Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood. Well, they're going to be busy. And they're going to shepherd the sheep, kill the Mm beasts, plow the land for the crops. So I want you to give a tenth of the tithe given to you, to Aaron. So we have this code of tithe and giving developing within the nation of Israel. And God is superintending this. He not only superintends the amount... And to where it goes, he superintends certain festivals and days and occasions for when they give. And I found this interesting. In Deuteronomy 14, verse 28, we read this. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year, and shall deposit it in your town. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, the orphan... And the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied Mm -hmm. in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. Now this tells us a couple of things. The tithe is for more than just the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. It's for the orphan. It's for the alien. It's for the Mm -hmm. the widows. Later on we're going to find out that the tithe is going to be used for the poor as well. Mm -hmm. But God is saying in the background through all of this, the more you give, and the more you want to give and help, the greater your blessing will be. I will take care of you. Okay? Your motive is to help. And I'm telling you that my motive is to help you as you help. Okay? So in Deuteronomy 26, verse 12 through 14, we read again, When you have finished paying all the tithes of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, then you shall give it to the Levite, to the stranger, to the orphan, and to the widow, that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. And you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion from my house and also have given it to the Levite and the alien, the orphan, and the widow, according to all thy commandments which thou hast commanded me. I have not transgressed or forgotten any of thy commandments. This is an expansion of the thought. And I'm just going to ask you who are watching this at home, to go to Deuteronomy 26, 12-14. Because this is really the heart of the matter when it comes to tithing. Um, The text tells us, I have removed the sacred portion from my house. What What the author wants us to understand is that you've got something to give according to the prescriptions of the Lord and it's not yours anymore. It belongs to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And it ought to be sacred to you. Mm -hmm. And that sacred portion has got to be given to the Lord. So when you can safely say, I have removed the sacred portion from my house and given it to the Levite, the alien, the orphan, the widow, according to the Lord's commandments, you have done what he has required. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to get into New Testament giving. Mm -hmm. But I want you to see that the, the principle of giving is not legalism in the Old Testament, right? I think you would agree that the Lord is looking for the heart yes have you have you looked at what you have, seen what I've asked you to do, and set aside what you have to give to the Lord? That's the main thing. Mm-hmm. and I love the wording of this. This is sacred. when we get into the new I just give you a little sneak preview here. You get into the house of a Christian, okay. And uh, say the husband gets a raise. He comes, he comes home, he comes got a 10% raise. I mean, my ch- paycheck is now $700 a month more than it was. And the wife's going, oh, man, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. And the husband says, i got to set aside some of that money that the Lord gave me. Yeah. And so he sets it aside, and automatically when he does, that belongs to the Lord. Mm. It's the Lord's money. It's sacred in his house. Right. And it's got to be given. Okay, Mm -hmm. so we'll get into that. We find out reading forward uh, in the Old Testament that in addition to the tithe, a lot of a lot of people say, Well, you got a tithe, you got a tithe, you got a tithe, you know, nation of Israel tithe, and they got ten percent on the brain. I'm gonna expand this just a little bit, okay? In addition to the tithe, Israel was responsible for sin offerings. Mm -hmm. They're responsible for guilt offerings burnt offerings, cereal offerings, drink offerings, peace offerings, wave offerings, thank offerings, votive offerings, and free will offerings during various convocations of the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. Did they have anything left over? You bet. Mm-hmm. You bet. It wasn't just, hey, take 10% and give it to the Lord. They were setting aside their, their offerings and their responsibilities and their du- their duties to the Lord throughout the year. Right. And every third year, it was a special deal mm. for them to bring it into the storehouse and do this. So the general attitude of Israel can be found in Deuteronomy twenty six fourteen through fifteen. I have not eaten of it while mourning. That is what they had set aside for the Lord nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor offended any of it to the dead. I have listened to the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that Thou hast commanded. Look down from Thy holy habitation from heaven, and bless Thy people Israel, and the ground which Thou hast given us, a land flowing with milk and honey, as Thou didst swear to our fathers. What he is saying is that I have done what you have asked. Yes. Now, thank you for the blessing that's going to come. Mm. This is not New Te- It sounds like New Testament giving, right. but it's Old Testament. Mm. They didn't mind this. Yeah. And the reason they didn't, I think, Greg, is because they understood that this is how God has set it up. Mm-hmm. This is how the blessings come. Now, what happens when Israel does not tie? Mm. What happens when Israel does not do sin offering, guilt offering, burn offering? What happens when they ignore what God has given them? What happens when they try to bypass the mechanism of blessing in the nation? Can you imagine? Well, let's read about it. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, we read this. Will a man rob God? Yet, you rob me, but you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. Mm -hmm. Gosh, can it be any more straightforward? The creator of heavens and earth, the creator of all that is, the great I am the Alpha and the Omega, God Almighty is saying, test me, okay? Well, go ahead, do it. Test them. That's what he's saying. Test me and see if I will not throw open floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, they'll bear their fruit, And all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land. And when the faithful Israelite can say to the Lord. I have removed the sacred portion from my house. He is saying that what belongs to the Lord. Cannot stay in the house. So. Without laboring the point. To a great extent in the Old Testament. Think of what giving meant to them. I wrote down a couple of things. The tithe represented thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. dependence, awareness, obedience, worship, welfare, orphan, widow, and last but not least, trust Mm -hmm. in the Lord. Mm -hmm. Test me. So it's not a, a rigid system of guilt manipulation by God. It is rather a detailed pattern that the Lord has established for his people and he's going to honor his share of the pattern. And he's asked the nation of Israel to honor theirs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it gets tough. I'm sure. And I was, I was thinking of the nation of Israel. I said, when would it get really, really hard? To compare it to our economy, our society. Mm -hmm. And I found this passage in Deuteronomy 15. And you tell me what you think of this. Mm -hmm. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel the loan he has made to Mm -hmm. his fellow Israelite. He shall not require payment from his fellow Israelite or brother because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your brother owes you. However, there should be no poor among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance. He will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. Mm. Wow. What really? You will rule over many nations, but none That's will pro- rule over you. Mm. Okay. So, you've got this seventh year coming up, right? And it's the year of debt forgiveness. Yeah. And people, you've been very generous, and people owe you a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And you've got to go to them and say, it's all canceled. hmm so if somebody in the audience is thinking, well, if that's the way it is, what happens if somebody wants to borrow money on the fifth year or the sixth year? Do I give it to him? No, because it's too close to the seventh year. <laughs> Goodness me, they're just taking money right out of my pocket. Let's read on. If there's a poor man among your brothers, any of the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your brother. Rather be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. And here's the wicked thought: the seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near. So that you do not show ill will towards your needy brother and give him nothing. Mm-hmm. There's the thought. There's what would be difficult. Yeah. You know, my brother needs help. Am ah, I giving this money? I got to cancel it in two years. I'll never get it back. Mm-hmm. Why don't I give it to him at the start of the next seven-year cycle? Then he has to repay me Mm -hmm. for six years, right? Mm -hmm. And then if there's any left, I'll forgive it to him. The Lord says, no, you don't do that. Because you're not trusting me, and you're not trusting what I can do for you. Mm -hmm. So, the Lord says in verse 11 of Deuteronomy chapter 15, he says, there will always be poor people in the land. Does that echo what Jesus has said in the New Testament? The poor you'll always have with Mm -hmm. you, right? Therefore I command you to be open handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy Mm -hmm. in your land. Mm -hmm. So we see that it's a giving nation that's bound by the Lord's prescriptions and restrictions and feast days and convocations and distributions and the nation of Israel is to be a Beacon of light to the other nations. This is how we do it, mm-hmm. and this is why we are blessed. Mm-hmm. And if they stay with it, they're blessed individually, they're blessed as a nation, and the Lord warns them, do not borrow money from the nations. Yes. You know, you can lend it to them, but don't borrow it from them because they'll own you after a while. So, I'm thinking of China yeah. and all the bonds they own from the United States. Sure. All the land they have procured over the years, other nations that we're indebted to, mm-hmm. and I can't. I, the United States of America is not a theocracy. Right. We are not Israel. Right. So, but to kind of look at this, if I were a economist and trained that way, I certainly would look at the Old Testament model, and I'd say, "How did the Lord work it out with His nation? Mm-hmm. This is not His nation, mm-hmm. but could we borrow some of these principles sure. and keep them keep them going forward?" Now, then, Larry gave you, I think, a little note there. If yes. you'd like to share, this is the part right here, I think, Greg? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, I have uh, Yeah, the same thing right here. Oh, you have the same thing? Okay. Yeah. And so, that,
2: that might be a good introduction yeah. as we move forward
1: to see the, the uh, New Testament. The New Testament, yeah. So, one of the things that we have here is that some churches uh, actually put up pictures in their hallways on the walls of the top givers in the congregation to put on display those who are giving more than the other members of the congregation. Is that uh, the type of practice that we want to do to to encourage giving within the local church?
2: It depends on who you are. If you're not interested in what the Bible says, you might (laughs) want to have that kind of practice because to whip people into shape, to make them jealous, to hold one over the other, and to... uh, uh turn it into a race to the top, uh, yeah, if that's what you want to do, but that has nothing to do with the scriptures, as you well know. Right, absolutely. And that kind of practice actually breeds instability. It's not pleasing to the Lord. Yes. And it's uh, it's a harmful thing to the body. Absolutely. Yeah, ultimately. Bringing was,
1: division, yeah. pride among yeah. those who's, who are up on the wall, right. envy, jealousy from those who are not.
2: Yeah, and... What do you think about those who can't give as much and they know it? Yeah. You're putting them down. That's right. You're not only giving them the back row. You're putting their have one leg out the door. Right. And that's how they're going to feel yeah. every time they walk in. That's right. And then there, you say envy. Well, the guy who's not given as much, he sees that this top guy here gives all this stuff. Well, why is the Lord blessing him and not me? Why don't I have the same car, the same money? Why don't I have this, this? And it leads to one big envy. Right. And that's a sin. Absolutely. Envy what your brother has. So, what does the New Testament say? I'm going to go on record here as saying that uh, every time a pastor stands up and says, bring your tithes and offerings, we'll have some solemn music and we'll pass the basket. I want you to go to him afterwards and say, we don't tie. That was for the nation of Israel. It was prescribed by the Lord in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, given by the hand of Moses for a particular time, a particular place, a particular nation. And you can read all about it in the Old Testament. But as I read the New Testament, Pastor, I see something totally different happening. Yeah. And here's where I would start. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians mm-hmm. chapter 9. Yes. Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. This is going to be our foundation. I think the heart of giving in the New Testament is summed up in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where the Apostle Paul encourages the Corinthian church to complete their promises to collect an offering for the churches in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So let's just read this, this uh 15 or so verses so you have an idea. I hope you have your Bibles open. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Now that's right out of what we just read in the Old Testament. If you do all that I have commanded you, I will bless you. Mm. Test me in this. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Apostle Paul is reiterating the same heart. Forgiving, as we read about in the nation of Israel. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, He has scattered abroad His gifts to the poor, His righteousness endures Forever. What's missing in verse 7 and 8? Oh, there's no word of tithe here. There's no word of a tenth here. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Now verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So, the Apostle Paul is driving at two things. It's good for you to give. And the reason it's good is because it's healthy. It's healthy for you, your economy, your household, your bank account. But it's also good in a completely different way. It's good for whom you're giving to. Mm. Your generosity will help those. But it's good yet in another level. We've got these layers of goodness here. And the the final uh, thing that Paul mentioned is that through your generosity it will result in thanksgiving to God. So when you give, it's good for you, Mm -hmm. it's good for the receiver, and it's good for God because he receives the glory. Mm. And how many times have we been delivered By the Lord in his generous provision for us. Sometimes through people we don't even know. Mm -hmm. But we always say, thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'll tell you uh, a little story. There was hysteric in the barrack yesterday afternoon. I had gone to my hotel room and my car was low on gas, so I'm staying right across the street from Sam's Club. I have a Sam's card. I Mm said, I'll just go fill my car with gas. It's usually... 20 cents a gallon cheaper, I'm trying to be wise in gas buying, you know, maybe I'll save enough to buy lunch, right? Okay, so I get over to Sam's Club and I go to the gas uh, place and I'm using my credit card but it's denied, not once, but twice, Mm -hmm. call a credit card company, they say, uh, we're denying you because we don't know where you are, Uh, there's somebody trying to use your card in Texas, I said, it's me in Texas trying to use my card. (laughs) And we're so sorry, Mr. Zins, whenever an out-of-state card is used because of fraud and everything. So we'll restore your card, so carry on. So I do, and I go into Sam's Club, and I'm looking around, and I'm trying to decide if I need to buy anything for my trip tomorrow. And uh, I've got a basket, Mm. and uh, I put my phone in the basket. Mm. And I couldn't find anything I wanted to buy. So I left the basket, and I left Sam's Club. Went back to my room. No phone. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Where's my phone? I didn't even remember that I had left it in the basket. Okay. So 10 minutes go by. I'm searching the car, searching the room, can't find my phone. And had the guy call my phone at the desk, call my phone. I like Nothing. So mm. I said, oh, it's in my basket. Run back to Sam's Club. I talked to the basket guy. I talked to the manager. I talked to uh, the uh Customer service, mm-hmm. no phone, no phone, no phone. We even call my phone from the customer service, no phone. Yeah. So I said, "Lord, you know where my phone is. I don't." Right. I pray now, right now, just lead me to my phone. I don't know where it is. Somebody could have stolen it. Some it could be in a cart, mm-hmm. and somebody's pushing that cart around. Mm-hmm. So I'm walking around looking at people's carts, <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just about ready to give up. Lord please, I am, I'm done without a phone. Yeah. No GPS. Yeah. Can't call Larry. Can't call Dan. Don't know where I'm going, basically. Yeah. So I'm talking to this manager who walks by. She said, can I help you? I said, I, I lost my phone here. I think I did. I think I left it in the cart. And she said, well, have you checked the, it? I said, I checked all those things. He said, well, I don't know what else to tell you. That's all we can check. A guy on the aisle over next to me, leans in between the aisles. He said, did I hear you say that you lost a cell phone? I said, yeah, I think I left it in my cart. He said, I found one, and I gave it to a red-haired guy, and the girl I was talking to said, oh, that's one of our other managers, let me call him. Calls him, yeah, I got the phone. Wow. I'm thinking, what a blessing. Yeah. You know, It's a small thing, but it's a big thing at the time, sure, right? Yeah. So I read these words... Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God, but I also see that God takes care. He takes care in so many little ways that we can't imagine. Ah, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So he said in verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying needs of God's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gosh, he ties it in to the gospel. gospel. Absolutely. You can speak it, speak it, speak it, but you've got to live it, live it, live it. Right. And part of living the gospel is generosity. Mm -hmm. Mm It says, for your sharing and sharing with them, your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Mm -hmm. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Wonderful. So we read this, okay? There's not one word about tithing. Nothing about tithing. Everything about giving, the heart of giving. Remember in the Old Testament... I have declared what is holy, and I have not kept this solemn thing in my house. I have given it. So we come to the New Testament, and we find out that from the beginning, the church is a giving church, right from the beginning. Let me read Acts 2. Before we go to Acts, can
1: I uh, just add one more thing to the Corinthians passage, because uh, the way it ends there with the gospel, I think, ties back to chapter 8, where Paul is uh, is talking about the same thing. He's talking about their giving and their generosity to the church. Mm-hmm. And he says in chapter 8, verse 9, I'm reading from the ESV, mm-hmm. uh, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And then he goes on to uh, exhort them to complete their giving that they have already begun.
2: Yes.
1: And, and there you see that it's the, that New Covenant giving is rooted in the Gospel. Yes. And is, it's something that uh, comes from a heart that's been gripped by the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us. For us.
2: Yeah. 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 Good point. As Christ became poor for us, we can become poor. For the body of Christ, and in so doing, the richest blessings. That's right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Good point, good point. Well, let's take a look, if we could, at uh, the early church. And if you are still with us, watching the video, Acts chapter 2 is important to us, verse 42. In the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God in joint favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Mm-hmm. What we pull out of this is that believers were together, and they weren't afraid to sell their position, their possessions, and goods, and give to those who had need. Yeah. Okay, some people have said this is Christian communism. No, mm-hmm. Christian communism doesn't exist. This is Christians giving to those who are in need. Mm-hmm. They only could give to those who are in need because they had something to give. They only had something to give because they were working for it. That's right. It's capitalistic giving. Yes. I'll put that in there because uh, you know, because of what's going on in the nation. That's right. This is not socialism. This is giving. It's not mandated by the government. It comes right. from a pure heart. pure heart. And it's for the Lord and his people. Yes. Acts four again, verse thirty two. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses, sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Mm-hmm. It's a giving, live organism. Mm. There's no tithing going on here. Right. One guy sells a field, brings some money, gives it to the apostles. The apostles distribute it to those who are in need. Mm-hmm. Another guy sells something else, another guy gives something else. They're helping each other. It's early on, Acts 2 and 4. Mm-hmm. Moving forward, Acts 11, verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, Mm. is that lovely? Mm -hmm. Each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So one geographic location is pooling their money according to what's on their heart and their ability, and they're giving it to another group of Christians. You know, there's no mention of tithe. There's no legalism here. It's all according to where your heart is and what you have. Ephesians 4, moving into the epistles, verse 428 of chapter 4, the apostle Paul writes, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share Mm. with those in need. Mm. That's the motivation for work. Mm. I want something to share. I want to be able to give. I'll work. I like the work. Work is good, but I get the blessing of giving. This is their attitude. Galatians 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest If we do not give up, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Mm -hmm. So you can see where the giving expands even beyond our Christian fellowships into others who may have need. Let's go to Romans 15 then, Mm -hmm. just another example. Now, however, verse 25, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints mm. in Jerusalem they were pleased to do it and they did it so we see time and time again in the new testament that money is not a dirty word giving is not a dirty word the idea of helping others is not a bad idea it's a great idea because it pleases the lord and brings praise and glory to Him. But the New Testament doesn't just speak of giving. It speaks of this whole idea of taking care of those. Remember in the Old Testament, the Levites, they got the tithe and they took part of the tithe to give to the uh, Aaronic mm-hmm. priesthood? Mm-hmm. Well, turn to First Timothy chapter 5. I want to talk just a little bit about the use of money in the body. First mm-hmm. Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Look, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. So right from the get-go, the body gives to set aside, like the Old Testament, like the Levitical priesthood, like the Aaronic priesthood, The worker is worthy of his wages. And so this is why the church gives money and the the body of Christ pays those that are set aside to preach and teach the word. We see this clearly. We see it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, same author, Paul, he says, But we do not use this right, that is, this right to get paid, On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Mm -hmm. So again and again and again, we see this whole concept of giving from the heart, Mm -hmm. giving to the work. And ultimately, I think the one statement that everybody remembers, if they remember anything about giving in the New Testament, is found in Acts 20, verse 35. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. I remember the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. It kind of sums it up, doesn't it? Yes. So we come to the New Testament and we don't understand those, those in charge of local churches who would dare put a hierarchy of giving on the wall or who would demand that people bring in tithes when they're not really under an obligation to tithe. They're not under an obligation to have a set amount. They're under an obligation to give according to what the Lord has given them and it's between them and the Lord, as far as I can tell, that they, they give. And the giving is to be dispersed throughout the body of Christ to those who are set aside, to those who are poor, to those who are needy. And so in this way, those who have giving hearts give to help the hearts of those who are poor, who give praise to God, and God is honored by it all. Yeah. And that's the system. But there's more. Okay? Right. <laughs> I want to make sure that we cement home this this point. There are those who are going to go out and they're going to ask for money. There are those who say, I am doing the work of the Lord. So I'm suggesting that the body of Christ is to be a discerning body in all this. You just you just have to be careful. It's not that we ignore the poor. We research the poor. You've been in the pastoral minister, I'm sure, people have knocked at your door, he may be it, and they're, they're asking for money. Right. And they want money. And mm-hmm. they expect you to give them money. Right. Well, this is the Lord's money. It's the body of Christ they're giving. So we got to be discerning. Yeah. Are they charlatans? Are they professional beggars? Are they uh, working for drug money by by sure. uh, uh, begging for money mm-hmm. on the streets and from wherever they, they want? Mm-hmm. We find this bit of caution in Third John. Mm-hmm. Kind of a strange place to find caution of this type. In 3 John, we read this little story. 3 John 5-8 through Dear friend, writes John, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers even though they are strangers to you. They're brothers but they're strangers. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out receiving no help From the pagans, we ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. Mm -hmm. So if it's for the truth, Mm -hmm. if it's for the gospel, if they're genuine, if they're real, and if their cause is forgotten truth, we can help. Mm -hmm. But we have to be discerning. If they're charlatans, if it's a false gospel, if they're involved in religion, if they're trying to dupe, coerce, we say no. Yeah. We're discerning Christians. Good. But, what does James say? This is the capstone for all of it, for me. James 2, 14-17. This, I think, uh, has got to be on everyone's heart. Mm. Because it goes to the heart of the gospel. Mm. James writes in 2.14, What use is it, my brethren, If a man says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, if it has no works, faith is dead in by itself. So James is at least willing to tie in our willingness to give to the need Mm -hmm. as an example of true faith, Mm -hmm. real faith. Mm -hmm. So it's a faithful thing, and it's faith when you give. And there's not a word about tithing here. It's remarkable to me that you don't need tithing to give. And you can actually give more if you're not in those kinds of uh, prescriptions. I just have a couple of more things that I'd like to comment on as we move forward with this video. When James, Cephas, and John were visited by the Apostle Paul and they gave to Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we might go to the Gentiles, Paul writes, they only ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I wanted to do. That's a warning. And it's also an encouragement. Mm -hmm. We as the body of Christ must, must do our best to remember the poor. The poor among us or the poor that we come across. Mm -hmm. All right? But look at our Lord in Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in glory, all the nations will be gathered before him. He'll separate the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. The king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. I don't believe this is the social gospel. Mm-hmm. I do not believe this is referring to starting a ministry and going out and saying this is the gospel, that we feed the poor, that we visit the prisons. I think our Lord is saying, You did these to me, mm-hmm. and I think the references to the body of Christ mm-hmm. representing the body of Christ. Uh, then the rites will ask, Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you, thirsty, give you drink? When did we see you a stranger, invite you in, need clothes, and clothe you, and He says, When did we see you sick in prison? And the king of I, tell you the truth, whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers of mine. Mm. You did for me. So when you give to the body of Christ, you're giving to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to remember they are brothers in Christ Mm. and they are brothers of Christ. Mm. These my brothers. Mm. So with all this uh, uh, data from the New Testament, it is startling to me that pastors, I guess, and teachers and Church leaders can miss this. Yeah. How do you miss this? How yeah. do you start getting involved with tithing and yeah. try to match up what Israel was responsible for? I mm. don't think they know what they're getting involved in. Yeah. They never do it right. Yeah. And, and reading through the tithing system of the nation of Israel, it's hard to even understand it completely, Yeah, let alone get it right. right. For those, So for those who want to carry over the tithe to the New Testament and say you're responsible for it, how do we do this? Yeah. what is it? yeah careful there in the first place they'll they'll tweak it yeah. until they're satisfied yeah. but the second thing is it's not our responsibility. Yeah. We've moved from that to the new covenant. Mm. so in closing, I put together what I call the church discerning, okay mm. Insofar so far as giving is concerned. Mm-hmm. Diotrephes in 3 John? No. Yeah. No. no. Zenos and Apollos in Titus 3? Yes. Alexander the coppersmith? Probably not. Epaphroditus in Philippians? Yeah. Demas? Yeah. Maybe no. Priscilla and Aquila? Yes. Hymenaeus and Philetus in 2 Timothy? No. Okay. Yeah. So that's the discerning church. Yes. Yeah. Yes, no, yes, no. Not going to support that, which is against Christ. That's good. All right. Finally, Luke 21, 1 through 4. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live Mm on. Is that not the heart of giving? Mm -hmm. It is. It is. So those of you who have uh, been with us to watch this video, I would have to say that You don't need the tithing system of the Old Testament. Leave it where it is. Understand it for what it is. It's a beautiful thing. It was given to the nation of Israel by the Lord. It's a Mosaic covenant, and they were under prescriptions to follow it carefully, and the blessings were there. But you just can't go back and say, we're going to reinstitute this whole thing so that the Lord blesses us. In doing so, you've identified yourself as one who is not content with the greater revelation of the New Testament. The Lord wants your heart, and He wants you to give according to what He's given you. And when your heart is enlarged to give, there's no amount too small, there's no amount too big. Lord will let you know. Keep your heart open to how He's guiding you and directing you. Pray for eyes to be open to see the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ your local church people in need and don't ignore people you trip over who are in poverty and need your help my goodness when you see these stories of these tornadoes and these hurricanes and these tidal wave floods your heart goes out to them Christians should do everything they can to try to help I'm not saying that we can solve the problem I'm just saying if the Lord strikes your heart to help, help. He's never going to hurt you for it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's for a believer or for an unbeliever. Right. This is the heart of giving in the New Testament. We've got it clear written to us in the Word of God. I don't see how you can miss it. But unfortunately, those are um, some who would use the Bible for their own right. uh, benefit.
1: I have one thing to add and then mm-hmm. two quick questions for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, First, uh, Mark chapter 2. I thought of this when I was thinking of tithing. Uh, This is in the context of fasting, in the context of uh, Sabbath uh, keeping, and the controversies of the Pharisees uh, who are following Jesus around. And he says in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, No one sews a piece of untrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. Mm-hmm. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins, but new wine is for fresh wineskins. Mm-hmm. I think we're all uh, agreed that the, the new wine and the unshrunk cloth that's the the new covenant that's the gospel that's the era of of uh of jesus christ and it's not just an addendum to the old covenant right Uh, we don't just piece that on where we have continuity between the old covenant with the temple and all the rigmarole including the tithe and so i think the the you know at the heart of the error of trying to bring that uh tithe from the old covenant into the new covenant is this very thing of confounding the two testaments, the two covenants. Yeah. And I found a quote that uh, I wanted to read, I think is very helpful, mm-hmm. not just on tithing, but on, on some of the other errors that we see in the church today. Uh, this is from James Haldane, who was a Baptist minister in Scotland back in mm-hmm. the 1800s. Yes, from He had, you know grown up a, a Presbyterian and a Paedobaptist, baptist and then he uh, became a Baptist and, uh, and a pastor. And he wrote a commentary on Galatians titled An Exposition of the Epistle to the Galatians Showing that the Present Divisions Among Christians Originate in Blending the Ordinances of the Old and New Covenants. This is uh, wow. 1848. And uh, here's the quote. It's fairly lengthy, but I think it's helpful. Mm-hmm. To those who consider the relation in which the Old and New Testaments stand to each other, it deserves the serious consideration of all who do so that most of the errors into which the first Christians fell sprang from the same source, confounding the Old and New Dispensations. He means covenants. They would also do well to consider that almost all the corruptions of Christianity have proceeded from confounding the Old and New Dispensations. An unnatural connection was formed between church and state, which subsists to the present day in every country in Europe. Now what is this but a recurrence to the weak and beggarly elements under the example of Israel of old? What is all the pomp and ceremony which have been introduced into religion but an imitation of the sanctuary worship? What are the splendid edifices but imitations of the Jewish temple? What are all the ecclesiastical dignities which are so highly prized but an imitation of the institution of the Jewish priesthood? To this we must also trace the robes whereby the clergy are distinguished together with the titles they have assumed. What is the distinction between clergy and laity but a copy of the separation of the Levites from their brethren? On what does their claim of receiving tithes rest but an example of Israel? Whence do they arrogate to themselves the exclusive right of dispensing ordinances and endeavor to trace their genealogy as the successors of the apostles, But because it was unlawful for any but the priests, the successors of Aaron, to offer sacrifice or burn incense? Whence do they assume the name of priests, seeing the office is exclusively held by the Son of God, as is shown at large in the epistle to the Hebrews? What are the religious festivals but an imitation of those appointed by Moses? In short, it will be found that the whole system of anti-Christian worship is founded on the Jewish law, which was fulfilled and abrogated by Christ. Let the instructions delivered by the apostles in the epistle to the Galatians, etc., be understood and acted upon, and it will destroy the very foundation of anti-Christian worship.
2: Amen. That's and we helpful. can never go back. That's We're right. not called to go back. That's right. We are in the new covenant. And as new covenant Christians, we receive our marching orders from the New Testament. Amen. Yeah.
1: Good. Uh, two quick questions okay. just for our audience out there. For First, for the person in our audience who is in a church where uh, they have been taught uh, tithe, tithe, tithe. And they are maybe they have one of these pastors who uh, requires of every member to give them their tax returns every year, which happens in some churches to validate that they've given an exact 10 percent of their income and they're burdened uh, by this. And uh, I I know that they've been helped by the information that we've provided. But what uh, specifically would you say to to those people who are under the heavy weight of that burden?
2: Well, I would ask them to go and meet privately with the pastor teacher, and I would seek remedy from the Word of God, citing the passages that we have cited, looking uh, for the direction as New Covenant Christians. And if they found no relief, I'd ask them to leave. Yes. I'd say leave. I'd say you have to get out because he's he is bludgeoning the body of Christ with old. Covenant methodologies yes. and guilt tripping people into giving, and that's precisely the opposite right. of what the New Testament calls for. Have you ever written a check and given it to somebody because you wanted to help them out of guilt and felt good about it? No. Never
1: yeah. never that's right.
2: never. so if you, if somebody is is giving ten percent begrudgingly, is violating the Word of God. You're actually causing them to sin because right. Paul writes uh, that we are not to give out of compulsion or begrudgingly. Right. So you're creating the atmosphere for begrudging giving. So get out of there. Yeah. There are lots of good fellowships that you can find where you can give happily, heartily, wholesomely to the Lord with a clear conscience and a happy heart. Yeah. For the Lord loves a
1: cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Find a healthy church. Yeah, that's find good. A healthy church. Good. That's what I would say. Good. Um, we. I don't know if we mentioned this, but we should. That tithing only is mentioned three times in the New Testament, mm-hmm. and all three times it's referring back to the Old Testament, yes. to yes. Abraham giving tithes to Melchizedek and to the to the tithing that went on in the temple period in, mm-hmm. in Jesus' day, which has now been abolished. Yeah. Uh, the second group. Uh, that I would love for you to just speak to as we wrap up. Those in the audience who may have heard this and are now thinking to themselves, oh good, my obligation to give that 10%, I don't have to do that anymore. And if they do get a raise, if they do get a windfall from um, a relative who's passed away, uh, and they're thinking in their heart, uh, oh, I have Uh, all of these ways that I could spend this money on myself, I've wanted this, I've wanted that, and maybe if there's a little left over I'll give it to the church. What do we say to Christians uh, if they're having that kind of an attitude about their giving?
2: Well, the first thing that we should say to the Christians who are struggling with this is take it to the Lord in prayer. Mm -hmm. And review the passages of the New Testament that talk about giving and sharing. Let let the early Christians be your guide and your example mm-hmm. so that you can saturate yourself with, a, with the kind of giving and the kind of attitude in giving. Um, it seems to me that if money is put in its place early, it won't come back to haunt you later. Yeah. So I've always suggested that the first thing you think of is giving to the Lord. Yeah. And then whatever is left over, no matter what it is, is yours. Don't worry about it, but you should give to the Lord. That takes care of it. It's not because it's a legalistic thing. It's because, uh, as the song said, we're prone to wander. Right. And uh, the Latins had a phrase that they used uh, from time to time. It's ipsi nas seducimas. Mm. Kind of a little rhythmic. I have memorized that. Mm -hmm. And it means we seduce ourselves. Mm -hmm. You can be seduced by your own money. You can be seduced by your own giving. You can be seduced by just about anything if you're not clear with the Lord. Mm -hmm. So I'd say pray about it. Mm -hmm. Understand and see it for what it is. This is from the Lord. It is for you. And I would say in your giving, give anonymously. Mm -hmm. That's the best way to give. Mm. You don't want to imitate the Pharisees. (laughs) You just want to give. So from time to time when the Lord blesses us and we look for a ministry that might be in need of help or we look for a person that might be down and in need of a boost, we give, but we don't necessarily give directly. We give indirectly.
1: Storing up treasure in heaven. Yeah,
2: and let them thank the Lord. Mm. Mm. That kind of thing. Mm. I really think it's a heart's attitude and it may take a while. It may take a while. It's sometimes it takes a while for people to trust that the Lord has is, is got this. Yes. The Lord's got this. Right. I mean, the Lord has got this. He this is what he has designed for us to do. So, you know, if if you give the way your heart directs you, you'll never go wrong. Yes. Ever. The Lord's got this. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I tell them. You can't tell them, shame on you, because you you want their heart. You yeah, don't want their guilt. That's right. You just want them to nudge them into the... the uh, you know, 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 8, I think uh, those early verses, they gave above and beyond, mm-hmm. and they begged for the privilege of supporting this ministry. That's right. That has always killed me. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I as a young Christian, when I read that, I went, what? Yeah. They begged for the for the joy and the privilege of supporting this ministry. That's right. They had it right, didn't
1: they? Yes. Well, we thank you all for being here. We're out of time for uh, this video, but please join us uh, again. We look forward to seeing you then. And I would like to uh, thank uh, Rob for joining us in this discussion of tithing and giving uh, from a cheerful heart as a Christian under the New Covenant. I'd like to end with this. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me.
3: This is Larry Wessels, director of Christian Answers, and I want to thank uh, Rob Zins and Pastor Greg Bancourt for their excellent exposition on the topic of biblical tithing according to the New Testament. I just wanted to end this particular video on tithing with uh, some relevant information and an excellent presentation on Sermon Audio called Wicked Tithing Practices Examine, Perversions of the Gospel Series, and that is narrated by Dwayne Lynn. All right, you'll get to hear that shortly. Let me just give you a few of my notes here. Malachi is an Old Testament book and is never quoted in the New Testament to validate tithing, such as Leviticus twenty-seven thirty-four. Nehemiah 10, 28 through 29, Malachi 3, verse 7, and also uh, chapter 4, verse 4. Yet modern-day pro-tithing money preachers shove this Old Testament book down the throats of their hearers on a regular basis to soak people for their money. Of course, this is where you'll get to hear that sermon. Uh, that I, we will play shortly after I read a few more lines here from my notes. In Malachi 3, 10 through 11, tithes are still only food a thousand years after Leviticus 27. The blessings and cursings of tithing are identical to and inseparable from those of the entire Mosaic law. To save time here, you can read the rest here about the curses and so forth. You'll see in my notes here about priest Thieves. You see there in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, the word you always refers to the dishonest priest and not the people. And you have other information there. So basically, you have a lot of thieves that are involved in religious rituals, ceremonies, and churches. A lot of crooks all over the place. This is another warning about tithing. And When you got preachers that shove Old Testament tithing down your throat, you've got preachers that like to grab your money. As we see here from a few more notes I have further down the page. Number one, the Holy Spirit is our new teacher, not the Mosaic law. Romans chapter 12, verse 8, Galatians chapter 5, verses 18 through 25. Two, there is no command for the new covenant church to tithe as found from Genesis through Revelation. 3. Tithing was used for the temple storehouse and ceremonial system. Nehemiah 10:37, Deuteronomy 12:17-18. 4. 10% giving is not an eternal principle nor a character trait of God. Romans chapter 8 verse 32. 5. The church is not commanded to follow the ordinances of Abraham and Moses. That's found in John chapter 7 verses 21 through 24. Six. A tithe only consisted of agricultural increase. That's found in Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30. Seven. Tithing is not the minimum amount required in scripture. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Matthew chapter 25 verses 24 through 28. Eight. An Old Testament ceremony paralleled the future church with a free will offering. Deuteronomy chapter sixteen, verse ten. Nine. We have new commands of giving. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven. Galatians chapter five, verses eighteen through twenty five. For more on this subject, see the recommended resources listed below, and just freeze the screen to read it further. According to the latest statistics, 44% of Christians now believe they are not required to follow Old Testament tithing laws, but rather free will offerings as outlined in the New Testament. And your source for that is given in the reference there. So that's kind of good news, actually, that almost, not quite, half the Christians out there understand the New Testament way of giving to the things of the Lord and they're not in bondage to the Old Testament tithing system. Okay, with that, I want to thank you all for joining us for this video. Uh, Tune in again next time for our next presentation on Christian Answers Presents. God bless you all.
4: I wish to take a moment on this day, February eighth, two 2015, and address the false and wicked practice known as the tithe. The first source that most teachers will use Uh, comes from Genesis chapter 14 verse 20. preacher will begin the money sermon by telling you that Abraham tithed before the law. Here's the verse used to try and bait the proverbial tithing hook. Genesis 14 verse 20, and blessed be the most high which has delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. The money preachers use this verse out of context all the time. I will quote some other passages that precede verse 20. Genesis 13, verses 1 and 2. And Abram went out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, silver, and gold. We see here in verses 1 and 2 that Abraham was already rich. He didn't need to be tithed to by his people that uh, were with him. Um. God had already blessed him without institution of the tithe. Genesis 13, verses 14 through 18. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward and southward, and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, Then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent, and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and there built an altar unto the Lord. Notice here in chapter 13 that there is no mention or command from the Lord to Abram about doling out ten percent of everything that he owned. There is no mention of cutting a weekly tithe check put into the storehouse. We also see that where this meeting took place isn't exactly where Abraham dwelled. matter of fact, here is where the meeting between Abram and Melchizedek took place. In Genesis 14, starting in verse 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Keterlamer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shavah, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. That ends in verse 20. If we go back to chapter 14, verse 13, we see where Abram dwells. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Ashkal, brother of Aner. And these were confederate with Abram. Abram was not at home when he met with Melchizedek. Therefore, it is deceit to allude that tithes that Abram gave to Melchizedek was from his own property and finances. It did not happen on a weekly basis. Now we see what transpires after Abram gives 10% to Melchizedek. Genesis 14, verse 21. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say that I have made Abraham rich. Accept, or save, only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me. Aner, Eshkol, Mamre. Let them take their portion. Again, there is no mention or command given to Abram to a tithe 10% every week, nor is there mention that Abram ever gave 10% again to anyone. I'll give attention to the storehouse later in the sermon. The second source of the false teaching on tithing comes from Genesis 28, in the moments just after Jacob's ladder took place. And The text reads as follows, Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 12. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night, because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and and lay down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. We see here that Jacob is in the midst of his dream. Now, we see the next part as it occurs in Scripture, verses 13 through 15. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places wherever you go, and will bring you again into this land, for I will not leave you, until I have done that which I have spoken to you of. Now we come to the part where the money preacher gives his or her, God forbid, second source of tithing. Here is the scripture, Genesis 28, verses 16 through 22, and I read, And Jacob woke up out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, and that this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, now pay attention to this because this is where the false preacher goes for his source. If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat, and raiment or clothing to put on, so that I may come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And the stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give a tenth unto thee. We see here in verses 13-15 through that the Lord has already proclaimed that he is with Jacob. Nothing was done preceding this statement from the Lord. There was no commandment to tithe. But as we get to the underlying portion of the text in verse 20, we see that Jacob makes a vow based on conditions. If God will be with me, etc. God has already promised Jacob's portion. It was Jacob who said that he would give a tenth if... The Lord did all that he said. Hardly what I would call a command to tithe, but the money preachers do use it. And clearly one can see in the context that there is no command to tithe on a weekly basis, or to tithe ten percent of all you own or purchase in the future. Examples given property, boats, cars, etc. No command to threat or disinherit should one not pay tithes, but I do digress. Coming to source number three. When the money preacher is the tithe hook baited with the whole of Abraham tithe before the law, and so did Jacob worm, then he or she then goes to embed the lie with some verses taken from the letter of the prophet Malachi. I will read in context the content of Malachi and to whom it was directed. Malachi, verse 1, starting in verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, said the Lord, yet you say, How have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Said the Lord, Yet I love Jacob. And I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom said, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down And they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord has indignation forever. And your eyes shall see and you shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I then be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Said the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name, and you say, wherein have we despised your name? I'll stop for a moment here. We see here in verse 6 that Malachi is speaking directly to the Levitical priesthood. He's not talking to the people of Israel, per se, as in the sense of a congregation, but to the leaders of the congregation, the Pharisees, the Levitical priesthood. Luke chapter 11, verse 42. But woe unto you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of God. Again, these ought ye to have done and not leave the other undone. Luke's saying the same thing Matthew did. Only Matthew wrote to Jews and Luke wrote to Gentiles. Simple, but it's the same thing. Okay, When read in the context, which I will omit here for the sake of time, you can easily see that the reference to tithing here is not to tithe, but rather that even though they do this and that, they refuse to do the other. They conducted their business falsely and unfaithfully. And again, read Malachi for the historical context in the execution of the duties of the office of the priest, where, where God is angry with them and he's telling them what they're doing wrong. It's not like they don't know what they're doing wrong. God has told them already. Okay. Jesus here tells them this. Okay. It is not a commandment to modern day congregations to hand over 10% of your earnings and property. Okay. Now we move on to the fifth source. This is the final source, which I'm going to hit right now um, for the inspiration and bait that comes to us um, from these false preachers. Um, it comes from Acts chapter 4, and the scripture to lure in the congregation is thus, Acts four thirty-two. and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet. Okay? This is the verse they use last to reel the members of the congregation in. They stop deliberately. I might add, they stop right there, okay, and look up. They look up, okay. Here they here and, and here they've committed a serious breach of trust in telling a half truth. Okay, they didn't finish the script, the ver- the, uh, the chapter for one to continue it, and I will read the entire verse in its context um, in a minute. But here they have committed a serious breach of trust in telling a half-truth. They ignore Jesus' command to go and sell all they have, and then they use this lie to put an exclamation point on their scheme. Okay? Being that the congregation, that is, those who read the text and follow along, have lifted their eyes to look at the minister of filth after he or she has stopped speaking. Okay? They're now fully pulled into the scheme. Okay? Because, and, the, and these preachers who do this know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They know that whoever's following along is going to read and read and read until the priest stops, and then automatically they're going to look up at him to see what's coming next. They know that. Okay? <laughs> and they don't continue. Okay? And then the rest of them are just trying, busy trying to, to remember you know, trying to keep up with the, with the pastor with what he's saying if they're not falling asleep or thinking about what's, you know, getting to the buffet table before, you know, before the assembly of God people do. I mean, really. Okay. The entirety of the context regarding the disposal of the possessions here in verse 35. Okay. Here is the complete verse to close the chapter. Uh, verses uh, 4, uh, chapter 4, 35 through 37. Okay. And lay them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay? And and there's more to it that they use. They continue on in Acts chapter 5 and tell on the story of uh, Ananias and Sapphira, how uh, they lied to the holy ghost and peter killed them for their lie because they only gave so much of what they had and the preachers like to use that to scare the living daylights out of their congregations and you better make sure you pay your 10% otherwise this is going to happen to you you know i mean it just goes on and on and on okay anyway i digress um, if the congregation had read the text in context they would see that they have been duped into forking over 10% of their earnings and property falsely Every now and then, the pastor, and I already mentioned his name once, uh, in this case, I'm drawing my experiences from the non-denominational faith Bible chapel in Arvada, Colorado, pastored by George Morrison, who was also the sister church to Cornerstone in Texas, uh, John Hagee. And, and we'll say that only people who tithe can get financial help from the church. I actually got that when I listening to Joe Moorcraft preach. He told a sermon about... Uh, how he had a fellow over in his basement for Thanksgiving and, you know, he was, you know, he cheated on his wife and all of that. And he was going to be excommunicated from the church. And, you know, more craft is going on talking about, you know, well, you know, he doesn't pay his tithes. And and then he goes on to say, you know, look, you're not going to get any help from this church if you don't pay your tithes. Okay. And this is a Presbyterian. This is a guy that's a theonomist. Um, I don't know. I don't know really much about theonomy but I'm sure that a lot of you listeners out there know who this guy is. I mean, he said it. Okay, he said it. And I'm sure most of you know a pastor or have been in a church who have heard a pastor say that. You're not going to get any help from this church unless you pay your tithes. Shoot, then you've got people that say you can't even join this church unless you pay your tithes. Okay, but again, let me continue on here so I can get this finished up. Um, I'm here to tell you that the scripture does not advocate or condone the practice of tithing to receive help, whether it be financially or physically. And there are other instances that are used and attributed to the Apostle Paul in the tithing scheme, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, to name one of them. Um, when in truth, this is what the Apostle has to say about money and reaping the reward, rewards of ministry and ministering to the flock. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of my apostleship are you in the Lord. My answer to them that do examine me is this. He's, He's sitting there right out. He's sitting there letting the people know, examine me, charge me, Against the scriptures, make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Don't sit there like idiots and just look at this guy and worse girl um, and just accept what they're saying as gospel. Paul is telling us right here that he's being examined. Examined. They are judging him according to the scriptures to make sure he's doing the he's preaching the gospel. And you people should be doing the same thing. Okay? I'm gonna continue on here. Have we not power to eat and drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord, and Cephas? Cephas is another name for Peter. Or, I only am Barnabas. Have we not power to forbear working? Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who plants a vineyard and eats not of the fruit thereof? Or who feeds a flock and eats not of the milk of the flock? Okay. Say I these things as a man or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treads out the corn. Does God take care for oxen? Okay, and, and, and continue in first uh, Corinthians chapter nine verse ten. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes, for our sakes no doubt this is written that he that ploughs should plough in hope, and that he that threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are we not, rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things for fear that we should hinder the gospel of Christ. I'm going to read that again, okay? And I want you to listen to me. Listen to me. I'm telling you. You need to look at these people in the churches that you attend, and you need to challenge them on this. Okay, even though the apostle Paul here is saying that yes, you should the, the priest, you know, the preacher should be able to partake of his flock. Yes, he should be able to, especially if he's preaching the truth. You should want to support ministry. Not because you have to, but you should want to. And yes, he is entitled to it. But you don't give you don't support a guy who's not preaching the gospel. And this is where you have to use your common sense. Not just your common sense, but your biblical intuition. If this guy's not preaching the gospel, why are you giving him money? Okay? But again, let me continue here. I'm going to read again 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12. And I want you to listen. Okay? If others be partaker of this power over you, are we not rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but allow all things. Okay? Suffer all things. Lest, or for fear that, we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live in the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so has the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live in the gospel. But I have used none of these things. Again, he says this. I have used none of these things. Neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me, for it would be better for me to die then that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is unto me if I do not preach the gospel. He's not doing it for money. He's not doing it for any other reason than for the fear of his soul. (laughs) Okay? 1 Corinthians 9, verse 17. For if I do this willingly... I have a reward, but if it is against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. You know, that word dispensation. That's another sermon, but anyway. 1 Corinthians 9.18. What is my reward then? Verily, or truly, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. I'm going to read that again. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter nine verse 18, in the context that Paul sets it in, okay? That's all the verses that I've read before this, okay? I'm not, you were not to cut and paste this. You just read it, okay? I'm reading it now singly for you, but this is the sum of everything that I just read to you. What is my reward then? Truly that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge. For free, he's going to make it for free, that he abuses not his power in the gospel, he says people that charge abuse in saying what he says right there. And anybody who says otherwise is, is a moron. Okay, And believe me, I'm not politically correct. If you're a moron, I'm going to tell you you're a moron. Okay, And Paul right here is saying simply that he preaches the gospel for free so that he doesn't abuse his power in it. It's almost as if he knew somebody was going to do that. Oh, wait a minute, somebody was doing that. Yeah, the Pharisees were doing it. Okay, verse 19, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Okay, and then he goes on from verse 20 to verse 27, the rest of what he's talking to the people in Corinth. Now to finish up here, Paul states in verses 1 through 19 how he perceives the whole money thing. In verse 14 through 19, he claims that taking the rewards of ministry can be abused and make the preaching of the gospel message null and void. Now we'll read this again. Listen carefully. 1 Corinthians 9, 14 through 19. I'm not, not going to read it again. You can reread it yourselves, but you know, it's important to read this. Okay, Paul knew the danger of living off the preaching of the gospel. He knew that it could corrupt him. He chose not to live off the preaching of the gospel. Simple. So, Joel Osteen, Ken Copeland, Pat Robertson, John Hagee, Paula White, Creflo Dollar, TB Inners, etc. This sermon is directed toward you. If you like
3: our YouTube channel, please subscribe by clicking on the subscribe button and then by also clicking the bell above to get an automatic update whenever we produce another YouTube video For our See Answers TV channel, please share our videos with your friends and relatives. May God bless you. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. See related videos by tapping or clicking screens.